Father, would you help us now calibrate each of our breaths according to Christ? We know in the scriptures that all things are created by him and for him. We see this all over the scriptures. And Father, the creation displays your glory. So as we consider the work of your redemption, the incarnation of your son and his work, would you be with each of us, Lord? Would you help us see Christ for true, uh, truly for who he is? And may we see the light of your face in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We must understand that the fullness of time to which Galatians 4.4 points is the birth of Christ. This was also the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. Now, these were not vague prophecies. God provided in these prophecies great precision for how Israel could identify the Messiah. Details like his physical appearance, details of the life that he would live, what type of ministry would he would have, the effects of his ministry, and even the very geographical location that he, was, he would be born and where his ministry would begin. To prove this, listen to these biblical references that point to the birth of Christ and the nature of this Messiah. In reference to his physical appearance, Isaiah 53, 2, he would be a man that would have a very ordinary form to him. Nothing about this physical appearance would draw men unto himself. Israel was supposed to look for a Messiah like Saul, or not like Saul, but like David. It is also in Luke chapter 2 that an angel told, told the shepherds how they could identify the newly born Savior. He would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger. God told his people and the shepherds how they could physically identify their Messiah. It's also in the prophecies of the Messiah that details of the type of life that he would live are disclosed. He would be a rejected man. He would be a man of sorrows, despised and not highly esteemed. Isaiah 53 talks about how the Messiah would suffer on behalf of his people, that he would be a righteous man, but would be, be crushed not for his sins, but for the sins of his people, and that he would die and rise again and see his offspring and would intercede on their behalf. This is all in Isaiah 53. Now I have to pause here for just a minute for an application. For some of us, the holiday season is not a time of fellowship, peace, and joy. It's a time, it, it can feel like a time of rejection, grief, and even sorrow. Believer, Christ knows what this is like. And we see from Isaiah 9, as we get there, and his coming will invade these realities with justice and righteousness, peace and hope. Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was despised. He was rejected. So when these feelings come in our minds and in our hearts, they creep in during the season, we need to remember Christ. Even as Jesus approached the cross, he looked at the shame that the cross would bring, the physical separation that he would have from his people under the weight and the wrath of God. But he looked at that cross. He looked at the shame that that cross would bring, the physical separation, but he was able to see beyond the cross, to see the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross. 
So for those here that find this season full of tension, division, and even sorrow, look to Christ. Consider the joy that has been set before you. Consider the crown of life that is waiting you as you walk in obedience to the Lord. Other prophecies about the coming Messiah predict the type of ministry he would have. In Isaiah 61, the Messiah would have the Spirit rest upon him. And we saw this happen at Jesus' baptism. The Messiah would proclaim good news to the poor. He would bind up the brokenhearted. He would proclaim liberty to the captives. I think of the demon-possessed man or the woman at the well that were captive to their dead spiritual state that no man could bind, alone and without hope. The Christ would have a message that would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but this Christ would also have a message of judgment for those that would refuse to repent and submit to the kingdom of God and its king. Finally, I mentioned that the scriptures contain prophecies that point to the very geographical location, to his birth, and even where his ministry would begin. We sang some of these songs already. If we remember in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod desired to know where the Messiah would be born, he asked the wise men, and he told them, Bethlehem of Judea, because of the prophecy in Micah 5.2, which says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And then according to the gospel accounts, after he received the Spirit and was tempted in the wilderness, he returned to Galilee to begin his preaching ministry, which is according to uh, Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Galilee of the nations would be the place that the Messiah would begin to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. And this is in fulfillment to the text that we will be looking at today. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, when he begins preaching in Galilee. Let me read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you and with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling, warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
we must notice from this text not only the exact geographical location in which the Messiah would begin ministering, but also the impact his ministry would have. His ministry would be broader than the land of Israel. The prophecy in Isaiah 9 proclaims that the Messiah's ministry would not be confined to the region of Jerusalem or to Judea. The message of this coming child would, be, would not be bound to the nation of Israel. The message of this child, the ministry of this child, would reach to the ends of the earth. And we have seen in John 4 that salvation is from the Jews. But this does not mean that the Jewish Messiah came only to save the Jews. Jesus made this clear in his appointment with the Samaritan woman. There would be a geographical location that this child would begin his ministry, but his ministry would not be limited to a specific geographical location, and it would not be for a specific people alone. The message and ministry of this child would be for the nations. This is made clear in verse 7 of our text. The increase of, his, uh, the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And once his kingdom is established, it would remain forever. His government would reach the ends of the earth, and this government would never be overthrown. So although the proclamation of God's reign would begin in Galilee of the nations, it would go forth to all of the nations. The Jewish Messiah, the seed of Abraham, the offspring of the woman, would save the world. We must also see from this text the type of king this child would be. This child would be not just any king, but a king in the line of David. We see that in verse 7. And we know from Jesus' genealogy in Matthew and in Luke that he was indeed from the line of David. The Messiah would have the government on his shoulders and his names would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in verse 7, we are told that his kingdom, his rule, would uphold justice and righteousness. And you might be asking, how could one man, one son, one child do this? It is revealed to us in this text that this child would also be God. He would be called Mighty God. God himself would take on flesh and dwell on earth in our midst. And I hope John 1 is ringing in your ears. We might be looking at the trajectory of the world right now. As righteous, unrighteousness runs rampant, an unrighteousness is not only tolerated, but it is celebrated and legislated. And then we come across a text like Isaiah 9 and ask the Lord, how long until you reign and rule in this way, in this manner? How long until we experience this fully? The fulfillment of this prophecy begins with the birth of Christ, but it's clear that some of these realities are not fully seen or experienced right now. There is an already but not yet nature to the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus is the child of verse 6. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. Now I do want to be clear that this text is not contradictory to what we understand about the Godhead as it would relate to the triune nature as father, son, and spirit. This prophecy of Isaiah is not conflating the Trinity into the nature of this child. For example, we know in John 14, 15, 
that Jesus would send the counselor or the advocate when he is discussing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we know from John 10.30 that the Father and the Son are one, but they are not the same person. We should understand that the names of this child would be given in Isaiah 9.6 are descriptions of the type of rule that this child would have. The names that this child would be given are describing the nature of his rule. And it, it was not uncommon for kings to be called father in relationship to those that they were ruling over. This child would be an everlasting father to his people. And as we consider these names and how they describe the type of rule this child would have over his people, this rule would be like life-giving, like a father. He would care for, provide, and protect his people like a father. He would perfectly represent God to his people. He would give wise counsel and there would be peace in his kingdom. What a glorious picture of this type of ruler this child would be. Now I want to unpack in this final section how we are to live in light of the darkness that still remains in this world and the darkness that we may still see in ourselves. The truth of Christmas, the historical birth of Christ, brings light to all the remaining darkness in our lives and in this world. Isaiah 9-2 reads, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And in the opening verse of this prophecy concerning the child who would rule over the world in justice and righteousness is the social context in which he would be born. The child would be born into a land of deep darkness. Now, in order to have a better understanding of how Isaiah is using this word light in our text, I wanted to spend, as I did this past week or so, I wanted to spend some time looking up the word light in the Old and New Testament to see how the scriptures use this idea of light. So for just a few minutes, I want to build some of these big categories as far as how I saw uh, the scriptures talking about and using the word light. It occurred over 100 times in the Old Testament and over 70 times in the New. The word for light is used all over the scriptures, and it is a very important concept for us to understand. And if we're going to understand Isaiah's use of the word light in our prophecy, we need to understand how the word light can be used throughout the scriptures. It should help us understand our text. Now, because we do not have time to go through over 150 verses, I want to simplify this study by presenting a few of the big categories that this word light is used or how it is used. We see light described throughout the scriptures as part of creation, physical light. The reality of physical light, like in Genesis 1, when light is used to distinguish day from night. The reality of physical darkness being invaded by physical light. That which was unseen is now seen because of physical light. Or what was not able to, be, to grow in the absence of light is able to grow and develop through light. The scriptures also speak of light in metaphorical senses like the presence of justice or ethics. Namely, how one is supposed to live in this world is often referred to as living in light. The lack of light can be seen as the Lord's judgment on a land or people. This could be the lack of physical light, 
like with the Lord's dealings with the Egyptians on several occasions. Another way light is spoken about is in reference to ethics. The law of God or living in the light of God's law. Uh, this is something that we see in Isaiah chapter 5 or in Psalm 43. Other ways that the Bible talks about light would include God's salvation or redemption. We would see this in Isaiah 46 or in Acts 26. And we also find light being used to describe illumination or revelation in Ephesians chapter 1. Light illumines or further reveals physical or spiritual realities. The Bible speaks about light in reference to creation, salvation, redemption, justice, ethics, glory, and life. And if we want to sum up light into one big biblical category, I might say light as a whole in the scriptures refers to the glorious reign and rule of God in all created order. Let me say that again. Light refers to the glorious reign and rule of God in all created order. So as we come back to our primary text this afternoon, we see several of these realities of light at play in Isaiah chapter 9. Notice the ethical nature of the light that this child would bring into this world. The people who walked in darkness describes how the people were living, namely in sin. But we also see that the light shines on them that when the light shines on them, they embrace this light. It should also be said, as Pastor Seth mentioned several weeks ago, Galilee, which was in the northern kingdom of Israel, was the first place that received God's judgment. And in Isaiah 9, it is a place that God begins his redemption. In verse 3, we see the nation embrace and rejoice in this light. And then it is in verse 4 and 5 that we see the redeeming and saving nature of this light. The light is going to break a yoke of burden and oppression. And then also in verses 6 and 7, the light will not only prevail, but it will be established forever. It will be through the righteous and just rule of the sun that the light will reach the ends of the earth. Let me close now with some application. The child of light in Isaiah was born on Christmas. And he was given the name Jesus. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. In every way the scriptures speak about light, it is confirmed in scripture that Jesus is that light. Jesus brings redemption and salvation to his people. Jesus is ruling at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has inaugurated a new creation. And through his obedience to the law of God, we are shown how to live. Jesus lived a perfect life and calls his children to walk in this same way by the power of the Spirit. Everything in creation was created by him and for him. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the proclamation of all of these truths. There may be some here today that have yet to see the light of Christ, to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, to which you must hear the words of Paul, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, Behold the Son, behold the child of God, because he is the light 
of the world. If you are not able to see Christ as glorious and as the only way to the Father, turn to Christ and he will shine on you. Ask him to open your eyes to see the light of Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in the saving power of Christ. Turn from your, from your dark deeds and live a life of light that displays the glory of God to which there will be joy and gladness in this life and in the life to come. For those that have seen the light of Christ and are able to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, Colossians chapter 1 reminds us that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Believers are called in Ephesians 5 to walk as children of the light because we are in the light of the Lord. So as you consider your walk with the Lord right now, are you walking in light? What areas in your life do not match the identity that you have in Christ? Does your life match the ethics of God's kingdom? If I might get really specific for a moment, according to Matthew chapter 6, the eye is the lamp or the light to the body. What are your eyes doing? What are they following? What are they filled with? This could be content on your phone or it could be how you're looking at other people throughout the day or how you're even looking at your neighbor's things and coveting. The scriptures exhort us to fix our eyes on Christ. The scriptures also remind us not to look at the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Our obedience puts on display the righteous rule of God. And we, when we walk in obedience, we are also advancing the reign and rule of God. The gospel will go forth. The gospel will advance. The nations will be discipled. And when Christ returns, there will be no more darkness. Jesus promises that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the advance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. It has invaded the darkness and there will come a day when there will be no more darkness. If you are discouraged by the darkness around you, speak into it with the good news of Christ. Darkness will not overcome the light of Christ if you are frustrated by the trajectory of society or your own life, pick up the cross and follow Christ. Die to your sin and disciple those that God has put into your life. Jesus was born of a woman into the darkness of night under the law so that he might inaugurate a new creation, redeem a people for himself and display the glory of God. What child is this that has come in Isaiah 9? This is Christ the King, the King of glory, the King of light. Let's pray. Father, you have remained faithful throughout the ages. You promised to send a deliverer, and you did in your son, Jesus Christ. You set yourself in Christ. We thank you for the light that shone in our hearts to see this glorious Savior. And we want to see more of it. Darkness oftentimes feels like it creeps in. In these moments, Lord, would we turn to Christ. 
And may this Christmas season be full of opportunities to display the light of Christ, both in word and in deed. We need more of Christ, Lord, and we desire all the nations to see Christ. Be with us now during this holiday season and through these last few hymns that we sing together about your faithfulness through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.